is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Home Gadget Geek show number 425, recorded on November 29th, 2019. Here at Home Gadget Geeks, we cover all the favorite tech gadgets that find their way into your home. News reviews, product updates, and conversation, all for the average tech guy. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from the AverageGuy.tv studios. Not on a Thursday, but on a Friday. I don't know, Sammy, I don't know if I've ever done a Friday. Maybe I have in the nine years we've been doing podcasts here. But we are here tonight because Thanksgiving, a U.S. holiday uh, this year. and no, I guess every year it's a U.S. holiday. <laughs> And uh, we, we wanted to get clear, but Sammy was home and, and we had talked about, we'd had, of course, my daughter, uh, Samantha, is on. And we'd had her on oh, last summer, I guess, right? Early in the summer? Was when, was that the last yeah, time? Yeah, it was May on? or June. Mm-hmm. Right. You were just got home from school. Yep. And I'm trying to talk her into starting a podcast. and uh, But allegedly, she's become a professional podcast guest. Sammy, how did that happen? I have wanted to start a podcast for a while. I don't know exactly what I want to do one about. And so I was like, maybe I'll just get some experience dabbling in other things. So I guessed it on Home Gadget Geeks and really loved that. And then when I got back to school, one of the people who works for the university has a podcast called Northwest Connection, and he asked me to be on it. And so I recorded on that. And then two of my coworkers started a news podcast called The Loop. And they were like, Sammy, you should be on this week. So, and now I'm back on Home Gadget Geek. So this has just become my gig, I guess. Yeah. I've yeah. recorded like three podcasts in the past month and I'm down to guest until I figure out what I want my podcast to be about so I can host. Just guesting on a podcast is super easy. I, I, every it's Saturday, so easy. I just get to I know, show up. You just show up every Saturday morning. Ask the podcast coach with Dave Jackson. I get to show up 930 central. We're live. I do a little bit of prep, but really Dave carries the show. And it's super great to be able to do that. So glad we could have you back on. We talked about this. Oh, last time you were home, I was like, hey, we ought to have you back during that break. Don't want to do it on Thursday. Maybe we could do it on Friday. And uh, you said yes. And then I just picked the time. I thought, well, four sounds pretty good. Maybe for the folks that are off work. Well, Matt, um, yeah, well, I needed to get the processing done early off mm-hmm. to London tomorrow, uh, tomorrow afternoon. And I, I the, the processing of this, I normally take a day and a half to get it done. So I'm going to be cramming this together. You don't care because you're already listening to it and it you it made it into the feed. Uh, but uh, some work to do. Of course, we'll post show this show with show notes this week. And the show notes will primarily be 99% just the transcription. So if you want to head out there, theaverageguy.tv slash HGG425. A couple ways to connect with us if you haven't done that already. You can connect with us in our Discord. Go to theaverageguy.tv slash Discord. If you want to do our Facebook group, theaverageguy.tv slash Facebook. If you want to download the mobile app, if you want to listen to us on the road, maybe the easiest way to find us every single week, homegadgetgeeks.com. And there's two big buttons, Android, iPhone, maybe not even in that order. But they're available there for you. You can download them. They're free. And uh, you can get access to the show. Like I said, you um, you don't download. They're all streaming all the time. So you have to have connectivity but the best way to listen live. Sammy, we wouldn't have you back on. I wanted to ask you three questions tonight. Uh, one about print, one about cable, and one about uh, podcasting and journalism. So we've kind of queued that up just for folks that are listening. There will be some text sprinkled in, but with Sammy's background and her studying journalism at, at Northwest Missouri State, 
and me paying a lot of money to have her. She's paying some of it too. So yeah, paying a fair amount. To be fair, to be fair. But um, proportionally, you're probably paying more than I am when we think about your income versus mine. So yeah, uh, we'll, we'll just, we'll kind of leave that there. Um, but I want to get started. We Last time you were on the show, we talked a little bit about uh, technology that you use in school. And I thought this time it might be really, really interesting. News is in a really interesting place here in the United States. Like Gallup has a brand new podcast that I help. I'm kind of the executive producer for called Out of the Echo Chamber. And we we partner with the Knight Foundation with this idea of bringing some trust back to news because it has taken it so hard on the chin. Do you, as a student, do you feel that, that kind of that assault on news? I do. Not as much as I would if I was in a mainstream news organization, but we do feel it. We we had an incident last year where somebody on Twitter was calling us fake news, even though we were right. You know how it <laughs> is. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's you, especially the closer you get to graduation, you feel the pressure and the hostility towards the industry. And you're like, am I going to get a job? If I get a job, are people going to hate me? Like, like a lot of people think that because journalism is kind of in the public eye that like people are doing it for fame. And we're like, no, we know that more people are going to dislike us than are going to like us. Like we get more mean comments than nice comments. When we but, talk about, when we talk about podcasting, I'm, I'm going to ask about, because there is this idea of news entertainment, which right where people are kind of going in and taking the news and making entertainment out of it. I think most of our evening, you know, tonight, the tonight show and some of those kinds of things, Colbert and those guys, they've kind of become news entertainment, right? They're just, they kind of cover the news, but they joke and you don't know like what's real and what's not. And they kind of stretch it. Right. Um, uh, so I want it. Uh, so as we get to this idea of podcasting here at the end of the show, I can, I'm going to, I'm going to hit you hard on that one. Cause I, I think you've done it. Well, let's save it for the end. I first want to ask you the name of the paper. So you, you actually, the school, uh, you, you, you have a print version of the paper that this, you guys write for the school, but it gets distributed pretty wide. Why still on paper? Like, it's 2019. I would have thought by now, like, paper would have gone the way of the dinosaur. And are you guys watching that at all to see what kind of circulation numbers you have? Or talk a little bit about why you're still st doing stuff on paper. Yeah. So a lot of newspapers have died because of the because of industry side of things. Um, local papers have been bought up by large companies and then consolidated. Basically, the companies that buy the newspapers will milk them for all they're worth and then sell their... Usually these buildings that these newspapers are housed in are like some of the oldest buildings in town and they're prime real estate in downtown areas. And so the companies will milk the paper for all it's worth, kill the paper, and then sell the building for profit. Mm -hmm. And that's how they make their profit off of buying these businesses. Wow. I never, th I never so, thought of the real yeah. estate angle yeah, we it. We talk about it a lot in our journalism classes that these larger companies are consolidating down local newspapers, but campus newspapers have kind of been able to survive because we're free. Most campus newspapers are. And so we, between advertising revenue from the paper itself, and also we put out twice a year, we put out the homecoming guide and the cat's guide, which are more advertising than content. And through some leftover yearbook revenue, if we don't break even, we're able to break even and put out a free paper. And then through donors and the university were able to pay our staff. And so because we don't one our competition paper is paid so and we also have 
students in a localized area that we're able to easily distribute to, it's almost easier to reach them by physically putting a paper in their face than by putting it in their their news feeds. Which you guys do on campus, right? You're pretty aggressive about getting the paper out, physically taking Mm -hmm. it out and handing to people. What kind of response, (laughs) what what kind of response do you get from the student body when you're handing it out? Are they pretty open to it? Are they some who pick it up and immediately throw it in the trash? I mean, what kind of, um, what kind of response do you get as you're handing it out? We get those for sure. People who just take it because the social pressure of us standing in the student union, giving them to them and then immediately put it in the recycle because we're a green campus. But we there are students who read it pretty religiously. Like I went to the station, which is kind of like it's like a conference center slash like small restaurant and convenience store on campus. And I went to pick up a package and the girl at the front desk saw my name on my card and was like, oh, do you write for the newspaper? And I was like, yeah. She's like, oh, I read it every week. I read it for the blotters, which is what the, the police reports. But I get distracted by the news. And so there are people who genuinely will like read it every week, whether it's just to read the blotters and do the Sudoku. But and especially people in like student government read it pretty religiously and staff and faculty read it a lot. Yeah, a lot it, more than I would think. I, whenever I'm talking to professors, they're like, "Oh, I read that article in the Missouri," and I'm like, "Yes." You, I think we're still surprised at how many people still want and pick up a print copy. Um, mm-hmm. During uh, some part of Thanksgiving last night, we were because I'm going to London. We were talking about what some common some common things uh, in England, and one of them is it, in the description. We were talking about uh, the English breakfast. And they yeah. said it's proper to actually read the newspaper while you're having breakfast. And so that, that you know, I, I, I do think there are, there are people do you, that, that still do that. Um, do you find, do young people, like, so the, the folks that you go to school with, you, you ever see anybody reading the paper at, like, in the dining facility or, you know, in that kind of scenario? You ever catch anybody actually reading it? Yeah. And I think... What helps is that it's free. I don't think I've ever seen anybody like reading the Maryville Forum, which is our competition paper in the city that's you have to pay a subscription for. But yeah, I do see people reading it. And one of the things that I've been thinking about and like putting the pieces together is I think a lot about decision fatigue because that affects me a lot when it gets to the end of the day. And it's like, what do you want to eat for dinner? I'm like, I've made so many decisions today. I don't want to make another decision. Mm. I think the nice thing about a physical newspaper is it curates the news for you. Yeah. You know what's important and it's in this little 12 page thing and you and it tells you you it's literally ranked by importance. And so you the further you read, the less important the news gets. And so if you just read like the first paragraph of every story or you just read the stories on the front page, you're going to get the most important stuff. And so it takes away all those choices of like scrolling through your Twitter feed and trying to decide what's BS and what is actually important and what's not going to matter 24 hours from now. You can just pick up a physical thing and it's like, here's what you need to know. It's like, thank you for making these decisions for me and curating this for me. I appreciate it. As a YouTuber, one of the things I don't ask enough is that people actually put comments in the YouTube, in the comment section. If you're watching this on YouTube, whenever, live or even after the fact, love to know if you read the local paper. So down in the comments, down there, hit hit the thumbs up and subscribe. I have to say that. You're obligated to say that anytime you talk about YouTube. And then um, let me know in the comments what you what you read. And um, Sammy, whether that's print or electronic, you guys also do an electronic version. 
Yes. And I've watched that kind of change your workflow a little bit this year as you guys have made a switch from in priorities. And maybe you can talk a little bit about that. How do you guys approach the online version and what kind of readership versus now prints handed out? But do you have any idea on the difference in readership between the online and the print version? I don't look at those stats as much. Um, the thing we kind of switched over this year, we got a lot of new leadership. We got a new editor-in-chief and managing editor. Obviously, me and Kendrick, my co-editor, moved into the news section, editor positions. And so we've been taking a more, or we've been trying to take a more online-first approach where we put either a full story or part of a story online within 24 hours of especially event coverage, and then a full story or a story with more visuals in the physical paper. And so the, the physical paper is more like a curated, here's the best of our online coverage from the week. We've been trying to take more of that approach to draw people to our website. And I also get to see more of the website because as the news editor who has the availability on Wednesdays, I put most of our stuff on the website and I write social media posts for the news section. And so I'm on that backside comparing those things I think our sports section gets more online readership. Usually at the end of the week when we do critique, um, our web manager will read out some stats. And usually the top stories on the website are sports things because those guys are turning around so many stories within 24 hours of a sports event happening. It's so hard to write sports for a weekly newspaper because so many things are old. Like it's going to change tomorrow because they're playing a game tomorrow. Yeah, But yeah, their section does a lot of really good online coverage. Northwest has a really good football program. And so there's Ooh, a lot a great of basketball program and a good, and a, yeah, a very good basketball program. So there's a lot of good news to write about, right? It's, it would be yeah. harder, but did, did your deadlines change when you moved from, from print first and some online? In other words, you know, with print, you're building up to a certain day and then it's going and it's, you know, it's printing and whereas online you could post anytime. Did that, did that change your deadlines and how are you managing those Tech, with with technology, how are you guys managing those deadlines? I think the the mindset changes from writing multiple stories at the same time to focusing on one story at a time is more the way. So if I go to a student senate debate, hosted debate on like a Wednesday night, I'm thinking about that story for the next 24 hours and post like writing it either that night or the next morning it goes through the edits process and then I put it online and on social that next evening. And then I'm thinking about the next story that has the next deadline. So rather than working on like three stories simultaneously with a deadline on like Monday or Tuesday, I'm writing a story and then putting it up and then writing a story and then putting it up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we, we're still trying to find a way to manage those individual deadlines. Mostly we just, like manage them with our staff in our Slack channel, mm. but we use Trello generally to manage putting things through the edits process. But mostly we have to message people when a story is done. We just send it to the editor's chat and be like, yo, the story's ready for edits. Watch the Trello board. And that so we're ironing that out. That Trello board, pretty important for you guys. and what, Yeah, and what we started doing. doing that last year and it has changed the way that we news yeah. because yeah. everybody, it's not like everybody just like hangs out in the newsroom all the time and right. we like physically talk to each other. Like everybody's on the go all the time. And so yeah. having something digital that you can upload Google Drive files to is super helpful. Do you have your Slack notifications turned on for everything then? That way, if they need to get a hold of you, they do it that way or? Mm -hmm. okay. Slack, Slack is on all the time. <laughs> 
So um, do you find, you know, I mean, the, the news being digital first is not, I mean, that a lot of the big papers switched over to that, you know, decade ago, five, five years ago. Do you guys feel like that's behind or does it in, you know, your small town Maryville or is that work for, for what's there or do you need to push even harder to be more digital? I think we could be more digital than we are, but it's also, there's also something to be said about being the best rather than being first, especially when you're in a small town where there's not a lot of competition for news. You just want to like, people are going to be impatient, but like they, one thing that's happened a lot in mainstream news is they have an attitude of it doesn't matter if we're right. It matters if we're first. And I hate that. And I think that's the wrong way to go. I strongly think that that is the wrong way to go. And that's going to cause news quality to crash and burn. Like it doesn't matter if somebody has to wait two more hours to see what actually happened. If they find out what actually happened versus what people are speculating happened. Yeah. I want to talk some more. I don't watch live political stuff going on on Twitter because I'm like, it's all it's all talk. Nobody knows what is actually happening. Got to wait until two hours later when somebody has written a thing about it and like done all the work for you of finding out the truth and consolidating it. Yeah. I want to save that because I want to talk a little bit about that towards the end when we, th- when we talk a little bit about podcasting. Um, I also wanted to talk about the kind of the current state of cable news. And in, in today, <laughs> today, well, if you just listen to the audio, you missed a, a great face. face. Um and uh, uh, the cable news space, which uh, really began, um, you know, probably 30 or 35 years ago, has really gotten interesting, uh, in air quotes, over, yeah. the, over the last... We live in interesting oh, times. Yeah, over the last 10 years. Um, talk a little bit about, I mean, how do you feel about the cable news space? Not print. It, they do some wacky things at times. Talk a little bit about how you feel about the cable, the cable space. I openly hate cable news. I'm just going to be real about that. And we, I, I mean, if I'm being a hundred percent honest, I think that cable news has ruined news Mm. because it's, most of it is not news with, with the advent of CNN was the first to 24 hour news show rather than they need something to fill that time. Like there's not as much news as you would think, even with a country of news, there's not as much that people are going to care about. And so they're playing a game of attention. And rather than just being like, here's the facts, here's what happened, here's details, here's context, that's it. They're they're bringing about more news commentary and political commentary, especially once uh, equal time laws went away. You can, well, the the loophole around equal time laws was that political commentary doesn't count. That's complicated. <laughs> but yeah, the more it's less news and more news commentary and more opinions. And you have the rise of people who are professional pundits who just talk about their opinions all day long, regardless. Of, and they never change. They never have the, the ability to change their viewpoints mm. because they're paid to have this one view. And keep that view forever, regardless of whether the and just conform facts to it rather than conforming their opinion to facts. I just I openly despise it. And I think that people deserve people. How do I phrase this? Carefully. Yes. Very carefully. <laughs> um, you may be quoted uh, 10 years from now on this, but uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
You know how it goes. There, people owe it to themselves to have a little patience and inexperience. Just wait a little bit to get something quality. Well, I think that speaks to the the overall state of social today, which is we jump, you know, we jump to the quickest conclusion and it's usually a negative one. And then we blast back and it creates a messy then relationship instead of saying, is that what you really meant to say? I mean, so much negativity on social could be stopped by someone just waiting for a second and saying, and I'm guilty of this too. But of saying, is that what you really meant to say? Like, did you really mean to say it that way? As opposed to just taking the natural, you know, negativity to it. I think it's a lot of, it's a, it's really what's wrong with YouTube and YouTube commenting. I talked a little bit earlier about leaving a comment here. YouTube commenting is some of the worst uh, that I've seen out there or that I've experienced. But I, I appreciate, you know, in the world of very fast moving news, especially like on Twitter, uh, it's easy to kind of react super fast without reading into any or knowing uh, any of the the details behind it. I'm what's always surprised me about you is that as you've gotten into journalism and you've done this, is you've been a big advocate for the truth, and not necessarily like you know your political leanings are different than mine. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, and like we, I have political leanings. Yeah, I have feelings. Yeah. I just don't air them publicly because that's not my job. Yeah. No, no, no. And that's in, in in that area that I talked about where we have, you know, news retainment where it where it's people are definitely bringing their political views into their news reporting. Mm -hmm. How do you how are you able to keep those things separate? I mean, it, it can't be easy. Right. Uh, I keep it separate. I have a I have like personal social media on lesser known platforms that is not attached to my name or my face where I can air my thoughts just to shout into the void because we as humans have a need to shout into the void. But my whole philosophy is that my opinions are based on the facts that I'm purview to and that those things that I truly believe as a human being and like on a human level, I want other people to believe I trust that if they know the same facts that I do, hopefully they will draw the same conclusions that I have because that's where my stuff comes from. And my cultural context might be different than yours, but if you, if you are fueled by the right facts, you will hopefully draw factual and, and helpful opinions. Yeah. Well, I think draw opinions is the key phrase in there and that we all need to work on that and not necessarily... Yeah grind people till they till they you know follow our own opinions when we're talking about cable when i watch cable news network today i feel like it's one story over and over yeah and, and that's over. the thing they need to fill time and so things that don't really matter yeah. or matter a little bit get blown out of proportion because they're like well we don't have anything else to talk about nothing's really happening today let's blow out of proportion this one thing this one random state senator yeah. said that's kind of outrageous out of context and argue about it for an hour because yeah. we have to fill airtime because we have 24 hours i know i think it's sloppy and lazy by the way to, to to do it that way um there's so many good things okay just right off the top there's so many great things going on in the world that could be covered like that's true why can't why can't they cover good things as well, right? There's a bias towards bad things in news because it's what sells, right? Yeah. But also, there's a lot of things going on around the world that that are newsworthy that just aren't covered. 
I imagine it's, it's, and I hate to say lazy, maybe it's just the, the amount of staffing that they have not able to cover that many things. I mean, there's just a lot of interesting things going on around the globe, right? Yeah. A lot of, a lot of newspapers have had to cut down their international bureaus in the news world. We call different like departments, they're called bureaus. And so you have like the, the, um, the EU bureau and you have like the Middle East bureau or like the Australia bureau, especially at like places like the New York times and the Washington post, but those have gotten cut down and things like copy editors and fact checkers and staff that are seen as essential have gotten cut down due to lack of funding. And so there's just not, not as many people to go out and find the things that people are already outraged about. It's easier just to follow the outrage train. Yeah. Well, and right now in the United States, that's an easy, that's an easy target. So we, we with the current political climate, it's pretty easy to just fall into that and run with it. You don't have to work very hard to find crazy things to <laughs> to, um, you know, to necessarily report on. What do you think, speculate for me a little bit, what do you think the future of broadcast and cable news is? We're 10, 15 years from now, your generation, well, it, it's, listen, it's my generation that made cable news what it is. And it's my parents who watch it <laughs> and, and maybe some of my generation. Do you find among your peers, do they have the same disdain and will... Will cable news need to change and adapt to to reach the 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 younger millennials and then Gen Z to 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 rectify that? Or what do you think? What's the future? I mean, long term, I think cable news is going to die with cable because t the only thing keeping TV itself alive right now is sports. That's the only reason anybody buys a TV package anymore in my generation because everything that's worth watching you can watch on and on-demand with streaming. It's not worth going out of the way to buy a cable package or get a physical TV connection. Um, I think in, I mean, I live in a, I'm surrounded by journalists and broadcast majors all day, and we all kind of have the disdain for cable news. I don't know about the people outside of our department. I guess I need to ask around more when I'm talking to people that are in my gen ed classes, especially my poli sci friends that I hang out with a lot because I want to hear their opinions. But I hope that we see through the BS of it all. I that's my that's what I hope for us. I don't know if all of us do, especially in rural communities where that's all that is available to consume, or they just learn from their parents and not people outside of their small sphere yeah. because they live in or, small small towns. That's what I see in Maryville because so many people that go to North Gloucester from really small towns. But I hope that people can see through the garbage. In a perfect world where you could kind of, you know, you could kind of direct how news is delivered and consumed by people. And as a journalist, um, wh where do you think, what would be a healthy, you know, news economy for people? How would you, it, it, using all current technology that's out there today, how do you think you would design the consumption model for people so they'd get fair, accurate I sound like Fox, but, um, you know, uh, it's always the conservatives that say that. Um, how would I how would I deliver news in, in, in a way that you think would would help instead of it being kind of a circus? I think it would be a more multimedia approach to what current web news looks like. But what as a news consumer, my dream is to have 
some sort of like the way that streaming services are arranged, but for news. So you mm. can consume multiple news sources in the same space because the way that the way that news subscriptions work is you get a subscription to like the New York times or the Washington post or to your local newspaper. And you're trusting that one newspaper when really the ideal way to consume news is to get multiple perspectives. So that way things can reinforce the, the facts can reinforce each other and the things that are speculation or are not as accurate will fall through the cracks. And you can say three sources said this thing. It must be true because they all have their independent fact checking. And so it would be nice to have somewhere where you can be like, here's the types of news that I'm interested in. Give me stories about this thing. Or you could be like, give me news from these sources on like an app. And I can just be like, I want to read about what people are writing about impeachment today. Give me New York Times, Washington Post, like another like what my local news is writing about it in the commentary yeah. section kind of better curation of the news yeah that would be art. ideal because like i want to i listen to or i consume news from three main sources npr new york times and washington post and i'm like i wish i could get all of their print stuff in the same spot hmm. that would be nice <laughs> yeah and with some of them so going somebody to build that take that idea and run with it i think in the early days of rss that you might have had that capability Many of the news sources have gone to a paid firewall or a, you know paywall, mm -hmm. um, Which or valid for doing. For yeah, the no, they need to. They need to. They they need to survive, right? They they need to get that done. But it does kind of create a walled garden and make and makes it more difficult. I think ten years ago that was actually easier to get that um, unified news source than it is today. It's it's kind of messy out there. There's things that are blocked and RSS is not really, um, that nobody's taking it seriously. The RSS readers are kind of fallen by the wayside. Everybody's kind of gone to their own walled garden, so to speak. Mm -hmm. They want to become, I'm because right, most news organizations think they are that. Don't you think that they, they kind of think, well, why would you want to go anywhere else? We have all the truth that, it, you know, or all the news that is mm -hmm. there. I shouldn't use that word truth, but because it's all relative. But the, you know, the idea of we have what you need, it seems like we've moved away from that, not gotten better at it. Don't you think? Yeah. And it's like, even as a news writer, I want to say we ha we know everything that you need to know. But as a as a news consumer, I'm like I want to hear more things. I want to yeah. hear at least two perspectives. Yeah, well, and talk about uh, for a second when you think about your reporting and what you do, and and maybe not everybody kind of thinks about these premises of journalism. Like this is different than podcasting. Like when I get on here and I. I might have looked at something. It's my own personal experience. I'm speaking on behalf of me. Journalism, when you're really doing, it's a little bit different. Talk about what do you, what are some of the things that you hold to to make sure? Because I don't think everybody realizes there are some, there are some premises, right? You number of sources, those kinds of things. When you think about what is news, yeah. So we, well, obviously, there's if you want to just Google the SPJ Code of Ethics, we, that's a that's the tentpole that holds up what what we do when it comes to ethics. But in terms of process. Our, our standards at our paper are ideally 
minimum three sources, three people sources per story. And for everything, even if we're just like talking about like the administration changed this policy, we not only talk to the administrators who made that policy, we talk to the people who it affects. And the thing that um, one of my professors, Jason Offit, always says is find who it hurts. Oh, hey, there's the code of ethics. Boom. Just like that. <laughs> I have a copy of that in my binder that I look at every now and again, whenever we're trying to make ethics decisions on what to print or whether to include a quote or not, or things like that. That's a good reference for all journalists. But yeah, we, we, we try to find who, not just who's causing the news, but who the news affects and how they feel about it. And anytime we're reporting on anything remotely political, we say we have to have at least two sides. And so I, have really close relationships with the leadership in our political groups on campus, college Democrats and college Republicans, and also the people who are in the the kind of now dissolved group, no labels. Um, but I still kind of know who the, who the independent voters are, who the people who consider themselves outside of left and right wing politics. I know who they are and I know, and I ask them about how they feel about political things, whenever we write about them, because it doesn't, because we want to represent as many sides as possible. Basically my opinions and my feelings go in a box when I'm reporting and they go under my desk (laughs) and I'm just like consuming what other people are thinking and feeling. And I'll just, sometimes I'll sit around campus and I'll just listen to people talk. I joke that eavesdropping is one of the five pillars of my personality, (laughs) but it's also helpful to my job because it's easy when you're a journalist, especially in college, to get cooped up in your little newsroom and just stay in your little your little bubble of like media literate people, whatever that means these days, and just what we're thinking and feeling, rather than just like going out and sitting in the Starbucks that's in the library and listening to what people care about. Yeah. Because sometimes it's easy to lose sight of that. Do you think, um, you know, when we think about that, so as 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 blogging and podcasting became popular 10 years ago mm-hmm. um a lot of people gravitated to it that and in in those in particular that were gravitating maybe towards i i don't want to say news but they were talking about things but i can't i'm sure they didn't have the code of ethics the the spj that stands for society of professional journalists by the way yep. um I'm sure they didn't have that in mind. Do you see that as a problem? Because they're in media. Some of them are getting popular. Some of them are talking about news. They're talking about things that are going on, but they're not held necessarily to any standards. Is that a, is that a problem that, that, or, or is that just free speech? It is allowed, but it is, it is a consumer's responsibility to take everything that's, with a grain of salt. I mean, a lot of like in France, all journalists have to be licensed. Like you have to, you have to pass a test in order to be a journalist. You can't be a citizen journalist and citizen journalists are important to what we do. You never know when somebody's going to submit a video to your local news station that could break a story wide open. Like those people are really important. And I like that in the U S anybody can be a journalist, but it is important to take with a grain of salt things that, are written by people who don't hold themselves to any sort of 
uh, how do you know the objective standard? How, how do you? Well, know? I mean, if somebody's working for a mainstream newspaper or news outlet, then that's something that they're taught. If they have a degree in journalism, they for sure have read the SBJ Code of Ethics multiple right. times. They've taken media literacy classes, but in the end, I guess you got to develop a gut. Like I trust my gut more than I trust anybody, and I I read a lot, read widely, read broadly. Um, but it is hard. It's hard in this day and age to know what to trust. But yeah, it isn't. I, I think it's more important to any, than anything to have something objective. Cause when you're just a blogger, you're, and you're not beholden to anything that's concrete, you're, you're just following what your viewers want. And that's how you get outrage cycles. Mm-hmm. But with us, we're, we're thinking about what our viewers want or those, our readers want to read and what they want to listen to. Sometimes we do, sometimes we do multimedia content, but at the end of the day, the way that we write, we're thinking about it in an objective sense. We're not thinking about what they want to hear or what's gonna. Yeah. We, we want people to read the news, not because we're tailoring it to what's going to make people the most upset or make people care the most. We're hoping that they care because it's important. And that's maybe a little, uh, idealistic, but it's what we hope. One of the pillars, right, is minimize harm in, yes, in this one. code of ethics, right? And I, and I think we've we've maybe we've lost a little bit of that um, in in some of our reporting, in which may be the difference between what's news and what's an opinion, right? And mm-hmm. I, that, that's been thrown around since the beginning of time. When you think about um, podcasting, and it, I think as journalism's under fire. And I, I really do think it's going to be individuals who bring back trust to news. It won't be organizations for the most part, unless mm-hmm. the the organization is really clear about being actually a journalist, you know, journalistic, so mm-hmm. to speak, and, and and holding these codes of ethics. Do do you think there's some space in, uh, for podcasting news? In other words, you as a journalist instead of necessarily just writing the news, but also creating non-opinionated, news-focused content that shares those stories, but in a way that I could listen to it. Um, and I'm not talking about a newscast. I'm talking more of the, you know, I maybe I want to spend 35 or 40 minutes on a single topic that's really driven from a journalistic point of view instead of opinion point of view. Are you seeing that out there? And is that possible? I am. And I think there is a growing space for it. I went to uh, three different news journalism conferences this year. And at all of them, I met podcasting investigative journalism teams where they follow a story and they produce long series following one story in a podcast form. And I think that's an amazing way to do investigative journalism. And I think podcasting in the individual works because the corporation is chasing money. The corporation's always chasing money. And that's that's their job. That's what a corporation does. But the individuals, they can develop a relationship and a trust with their audience. And they can prove to that audience the things that they care about. And it, it creates less of a minefield of who can you trust, what can you rely on. Because you can turn to that source and you can be like, I trust that person because they were right in the past. And they have that, they can develop that reputation that a lot of organizations have lost because when you have one bad apple in a news department, it can poke holes in the entire department's reputation. Well, if you're one person, it feels like it's easier 
to judge that person's integrity or a small team of people. I also think podcasting is a huge going to is becoming and will continue to become a huge way to consume what I what we refer to as traditional news, which is just more like print and audio form or interviewing journalists about what they're writing about rather than and like hearing the story from their mouths rather than reading what they've written. Um, that's how I consume most of my news these days on a national and international scale. I listen to three news podcasts uh, up first by NPR daily by New York Times. Thanks, Mike Weir, for recommending that. And Post Reports by the Washington Post. And I listen to those three every weekday. And that's how I get my my chunk, like my hour of national and international news. And then obviously I'm writing the local news. So like I know about it. Yeah. Yeah. I I um I, I do feel like um it 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 is a great delivery. You know, you were talking about earlier about being able to curate, and mm -hmm. if you can find trusted sources, and and I do think it requires some thinking. Like I think this is we sometimes want to find the trusted source and then just kind of turn like, okay, now I don't have to think, and I think we have to think more, even in trusted sources, to say. I wonder what the other side of this is. And I wonder how, how other people think about it and, you know, be able to think critically. I'm a big fan of, of uh, radio lab, the NPR podcast. Mm -hmm. They also do these stories Another and it, they, they always have at the end, you know, they're thanking the people who've helped, you know, they've always got 15 people that do this and they always say fact checked by blah, 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 blah. And I'm, and I'm like, Oh yeah. I wonder what my life would be like if I was actually fact-checked on everything I said. Like, would I would I be a little more careful about what I said and uh, and how much of it would just be stuff I made up? And so, I think there's important um, there's important integrity pieces right built into that to make sure. And it's never a hundred percent, right? It's hard to separate emotion and it's hard to separate opinion. But you have to. The reason the code of ethics exists is because you have to have bounce up bounce that up against what you're what you're doing up against it to measure it how well am i doing this as a journalist have you ever felt like you've gotten in a spot where maybe it's gone you've taken it a little too far in the direction of opinion versus journalism or has that been a dividing line that you've been able to stay uh pretty close to i like to think that the line i've held pretty close to the one thing that i have run into is when you're in a small town or a small college campus um, conflict of interest is something that we deal with a lot when you're reporting a story because you know the like you found the story and decided that it's newsworthy because you know the person or whether you knowing the person that you're interviewing beforehand compromises the integrity of your interview it's really hard because when you're in a small town you kind of get to know everybody like by my senior year working for my high school newspaper I knew half of the people in the senior class and so it was hard to write news and avoid conflict of interest because I'm like this is that person my friend I mean yeah they're kind of my friend and it's like I have to have a professional interview with them anyway because we have a staff of 13 people and like there's nobody else to write this story and so we you kind of run into that the further into writing in a small area you get is you have to kind of check all of your relationships and you have to be careful with who you're making relationships with, because if you become like best friends with the student Senate president, you can never write about student Senate because that compromises your connection with that institution. And so you don't have a lot. That's why people get so insular in their little newsroom bubble is because you're afraid to make friends with people outside of what you work with 
because you're afraid that they're going to need to be a source and then your integrity is going to be compromised. Yeah. Yeah. And I struggle with that because I had to give up covering a certain beat because I became friends with the president of an organization mm. through covering it. I was like, well, I mean, I didn't intend for this to happen, but we're friends now. So I got to pass this off to somebody else because it's not me anymore. Yeah. But it's good to know. It'd be, it's sometimes it's hard to let go of those. In this case, the beat, mm-hmm. it, it would be easy to say, Oh, well, I'll figure it out, you know, but, but you were like, no, I kind of need to move, move on. I need to move away um, from that and get it done today in reporting. Uh, when you think about the technology that you absolutely need, you find lots of different ways to get things done. But today, if I were to ask you, what's your go-to tool you can't live without right now um, as a reporter, um, what's that go-to tool that you use? It's the smartphone. I talked about this last time when I was on the podcast is I can pretty much do my entire job on a smartphone um, because I record my interviews on my voice notes app Um I type them up onto Google Docs and then there's a Slack and a Trello app so I can just send things off through my phone. And then I, I mean, theoretically, I've never tried to upload a story using blocks on my phone, which is our um, CMS, CMS, (laughs) content management system. I I know these things. I'm in web (laughs) publishing right now. Um, I've never tried to do it on my phone, but theoretically, I imagine I could. And then, of course, I can post it to social from my phone. And yeah. so investing in a good phone, oh, and a good camera on your phone, because then you can take pictures to, to accompany your story. Because more and more, people aren't hiring journalists, they're hiring what we call MMJs, multimedia journalists, who are like a one-man band um, and can do it all, can write, can take photos, can video. You used to just have photographers, right? That was a role. Yeah. you would, and you, we still do, but yeah. they're becoming fewer and fewer. I think, yeah. was it Sports Illustrated? got rid of all of their staff photographers and they freelance some photographers, but mostly their writers are tasked with being photographers, which is difficult because it's hard to write a story like you're like, I, you still use a a pen and paper whenever I go anywhere to take my notes and then I'm recording on my phone. And it's hard to like be thinking about what you're going to write and like making sure you get everything that everybody says. And then also finding the perfect moment to take a picture because you're not looking up that often you're like glancing up for a fraction of a second and then going back to writing <laughs> unless you're like at some point you have to develop the skill of writing without looking which is what one of my professors does he will literally be doing an interview he'll be making eye contact with the source the whole time and writing at the same time really it's kind of That's terrifying kind of that is kind of creepy <laughs> yeah I, w- I wouldn't know what to think of that i'd be like I, I, can you read it you know at the yeah, end like- he has a he has a shorthand where it's like a senders and descenders and then scribbles. And then he immediately after interviews would go into his car and transcribe it. Wow. That's with, dedicated. While it was still fresh in his memory. It's crazy. That Professional is, journalists are yeah. a different breed. Um, broadcast journalists are often now, you know, they used to go out with a camera person as well. Somebody nope, now they're out. their own camera crew. I know it's a tripod. They mic and... themselves up. They put it on a tripod and they stand in front and they, they record the news. Do you think that's good or bad? I think it's difficult and it's super challenging. I mean, there it decreases the quality to some level, but if it keeps local news stations alive, then I guess that's how it's got to be. Yeah, just from a from a cost perspective, yeah. it is. I, I do think news has to figure out how to pay for itself, and it's yeah. a whole it's a whole new world. Like that's this is the point a, that we're at almost yeah. more. 
more terrifying than the the fake news thing oh. is how are we going to continue to pay journalists? Well, and and I'm kind of wondering if um, you know the Patreon model uh, is really what. In other words, I build a reputation as mm-hmm. being someone who's whatever and fair, honest, however you want to say that. And uh, and I follow. I mean, I think about. I have some tech people that I follow that I. Uh, you know, I've been listening to them long enough. I trust their opinion. They do treat it like journalism in a lot of ways. And, um, and I would, if, if I needed to, I would consider supporting them, uh, from a, now they're ad supported and what they're currently doing, but I would support them if, if we needed to. And I, and I'm kind of wondering, you know, we, we ad support or Patreon support podcasters in a lot of different ways. I'm wondering if the future model of journalism isn't more of a distributed contractor. You have a loose affiliation and you provide news to outlets, whether it's writing or speaking or maybe both, but you are your own brand. I don't know. Just a thought. What do you think? I think there is a future in that. And that's one of the reasons why the podcast model is working for these small teams is that they're partially ad supported, but they're very greatly patreon supported and so they have dedicated listeners who are like i believe in this and i will pay you money to keep doing what you're doing because i value this service that you provide for me ad support it can be a little sticky because you might have an advertiser that would because they're advertising might does do you see a similar stickiness if you have patreon support where somebody may be beholden to another individual who is a large you know who could be a large donor via patreon do you think that could skew things i think it's possible but i think no matter what you do you're getting your money from somewhere and somebody's going to try to make you beholden to them through that money whether it's an advertiser or supporter and you got to do your best to not let them keep you down patreon is the old um actually political model politicians (laughs) have been using the patreon model for hundreds of years right yep yeah. So now journalists may need to go that same route. The, 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 uh, the arch enemies, it seems like uh, yeah. of, of politicians are journalists. We are the fourth estate. We're supposed to be keeping those politicians uh, accountable. Well, it's a good, it's a good, uh, good and worthy cause, I think. And not to be adversarial, but to be accountable. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's, well, the, yeah, that's one of the first things that you learn in your journalism classes is the concept of, Journalists are the fourth estate. We're the fourth member of the checks and balances system between the the three branches of government that we, they keep each other, theoretically, they keep each other accountable. And then we keep all of them accountable and like the entire system accountable by watching over and being watchdogs of the government. That's the idea. (laughs) Well, and no, no system's perfect. Right. Of course. And, and it has, it's had varying success during different times and it still works. Um, sometimes, yeah, and and uh, and so we we've got. I mean, the, the 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 you know, we've got some work to do. And it's I when you picked journalism six years ago, when it, whatever that was, when you started really writing for the school paper, and you started moving that direction. I I was kind of I was kind of ignorant to all the stuff that goes into journalism, you know, and kind of going through this with you has really kind of taught me some things. 
and has really kind of pulled me back even from some of the things that I do podcasting because of the responsibility I kind of feel now of like, am I creating content? Am I being fair? Now, I don't, let me ask you this question. I don't paint myself as a journalist, but because I'm doing this, am I considered that or am I let off the hook because I don't like, I, I, I don't, when I, Home Gadget Geeks is not a news show. Now it has some components of it. We talk about issues. We talk, you know, we, we, we break news. We do those kinds of things. I, am I still beholden to those same responsibilities or am I let off the hook? Cause I'm not technically a journalist. I don't think you're technically a journalist, but you're not off the hook. So those are two, <laughs> those things are not, those are not intrinsically tied together. Sure. When you have an audience, you have a responsibility to that audience. And I think that everybody who has, I, I always use the example of spheres of influence and the larger your sphere of influence, the more responsibility you have to make sure that you're a force of good in that sphere of influence. And so if you feel that doing the right thing is caring more and focusing more on the truth, then you have a responsibility to that. And like, that's, that's the burden that you carry with your, your voice, your louder voice. Well, you'll have to, you'll have to grade those who are listening. will have to grade me, send me an email, <laughs> Jim at the average guy.tv. Let me know how I'm doing. It does. It is something I think about, like I've really taking, you know, I, I'm, I think I'm like, I've, I'm going to stop or I pretty much have stopped taking review units of things. I just don't want to do that anymore. I don't want, I don't want that. That's to me, that's not an attractive thing to do on what I do here on the podcast is to take those things and review them. I just don't, I don't need any more stuff and I don't want to, I don't want to do it that way. I also want it to be entertaining in a lot of ways. I want people to listen to this and get information, but I do want it to be entertaining. So I don't know. We've been doing this for 425 shows. Uh, people keep listening. So I'm assuming mm -hmm. we're doing, we're doing the right thing. And, um, and so we'll, we'll keep doing what we do, but you can, uh, if you have any, you got any beef with me, you can send me, any, no, don't, don't send me, any, but you could Jim at the average guy.tv. Um, Sammy, as you think about, you got a year and a half to go. What's, uh, what's the dream? Yeah, that's, <laughs> it's coming up pretty fast. That's crazy. We're more than halfway. What's the dream, uh, upon graduation, what would be best case scenario for you? Job wise. The dream is working for myself in some capacity, whether it's writing or doing something more audio like podcasting. I want to stay in the realm of journalism and truth, and but I've always considered storytelling the most important thing to me. And so as long as I'm telling people stories in a way that matters, um, I'm okay with that. So wherever the wind takes me, being a podcaster full time would be super dope. It's a cool job. Not that I'm biased because, you know, you're my dad and you're a professional podcaster and I think it looks really fun. Um, but yeah, that's that's the dream is just to keep telling stories and to not be beholden to something that's telling me to do things that I don't yeah. want to do. Yeah. Well, I, I don't have the most the highest respect for authority. That's maybe <laughs> one of my greatest flaws. And so if I, my authority is myself, then uh, I'm cool with that. Trust me, I know. I know. Yeah. So it's no better actually, than anybody. Yeah. Okay. But but you say that I think you're really respectful about it in a lot of ways. There's. Yeah, I have respect for people as human beings, but I'm not gonna, um, I'm not gonna treat people as better than me if they haven't earned that. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's fair. I mean, I, you, you've been you've surprised me um, in the in the last couple of years of being very uh, reasonable, um, and yet holding your ground. Like this is what I think, and this is what I believe. But in these kinds of cases, uh, you would have enjoyed the conversation on the deck last night. The the boys were having in the <laughs> yeah. Post I went inside. Thanks. I gave up. Then the post. Oh, you should have given up. I think it got. I think it got better. Um, uh, towards the end there, but. Um, it, well, that's my three boys that were there. Uh, one is overseas. The three that were there are very, very different in their opinions. Oh yeah. And, uh, and you so could not it, meet three people who are related and more different from each other. But, but Josh, my middle, he, he, uh, he, he said that was actually a pretty interesting conversation, which he wouldn't say he, he, t- he says exactly how he feels. So, um, uh, good conversation. I just, I have been, I continue to be surprised at how fair you have been in a crazy news cycle over the last couple of years, how uh, you've kind of held it together. So, so nicely uh, done. If someone wanted to invite you to be on their podcast, maybe they're hearing this and they're like, Ooh, a professional podcast guest. Yes. How would they contact you? Uh, well, I mean, I say that jokingly, but like I, I'm accepting invitations. Um, yeah, you can you <laughs> like tweet at me or DM me at Sammy Collison. My username is on the screen right now. Otherwise, it's S A M M I E C O L L I S O N on Twitter. Or my uh, professional email is s.collison.missourian at gmail.com. Um, and those are the those are the best ways to reach me. Uh, you gotta be I gotta be following you for you to DM me. But if you follow me, I might give you a follow back. Yeah. No, and you've gotten a little more a little more involved in Twitter, I think, lately. So it's been yeah, that's the to, best place to reach my professional stuff. I retweet yeah. my stories on there. Fun to have you out there. You know what changed a lot for me and you in school, uh, as far as knowing what you were doing, um, is I followed all of your news friends uh, in the newsroom, and yeah. they they tweet all the time, and I'm like, oh. Now I start to understand like the people you talk about and, you know, it's been fun to get to know them. I don't know why I hadn't done that before, but to follow the news um, on Twitter and maybe for listeners, for those of you who are listening in your car right now and you're thinking about, man, I need some better news sources. Maybe there's some options to start digging in a little bit and finding individuals who are doing good news, whether you agree with it or not, by the way. I think follow you him should on Twitter. Well, I think you should follow, and this has kind of been for me over the last decade. I like to talk to people that I agree with and don't agree with on mm-hmm. things. For um, sure. Stretch and, your mind. And have those reasonable conversations um, as well. So thanks. We'll plan on having you back uh in the spring or in the late spring again as school gets out and we still got to figure out what your summer looks like, but uh, we'll get you back on, kind of catch up with you then and uh, by then hopefully you've you'll have uh, podcast guested um Ooh. on a bunch of shows um i mentioned the patreon model of course we are on the patreon model here and there are a bunch of you who help support what we do you can go to the average guy.tv slash patreon if you want to support us here if you like what we do there's uh i just uh, there's just one plan out there there's a five dollar a month plan and if you want to jump on it and get in there uh, that every little bit helps. And it helps me to do some things that I wouldn't normally be able to do. So I appreciate you. The average guy.tv slash 
Patreon. We'll get you there as well. I mentioned my email address, Jim at the average guy.tv. I am at Jay Collison on Twitter. And there's actually a lot of activity on Twitter. A lot of people are like Twitter. And I'm like, yeah, actually a lot have still happens out there. Still the room where it happens. It's still kind of happening. It's in a lot of tech going on uh, out there. So you For can sure. do that there. Don't forget the average guy.tv platform powered by Maple Grove partners. Get secure, reliable, high speed hosting from people that you know and you trust. Of course, you know, that's Christian. And so you can get plans that start uh, hosting and media hosting. If you're a podcaster, plans that start as little as $10 a month, head out to maplegrovepartners.com and, uh, and you can get some information um, out there as well. We got some, uh, we got some great guests. Speaking of great guests, uh, Sammy, thanks, but we've got some great guests <laughs> coming up. When I think about we're off next week uh, because I'm in London, uh, which is going to be super great. Aaron Lawrence is coming back on the 12th. And so some girl power there. She'll have some yeah. things to review right before Christmas. Joel from Live Door is coming on uh, on the 19th. We'll be taking the 26th off. <coughs> Sorry, a little tickler there. I couldn't get rid of. I thought maybe if I just kept talking, it'd go away, but it just didn't. Uyghur is back. Uh, we'll be joining Mike and I. We'll be back with a kind of a, a beginning of the year show that we're doing on the second. Paul Brarin is lined up the week after that. Uh, Dwayne Robinson is coming back to finish the show. He started, but we derailed him. If you haven't heard that already, that was last week. Big thanks to Dwayne for being on the program last week. And we kind of derailed him to talk about his job. He did have a bunch of gadgets to talk about. So he's coming uh, back as well. I'll be off the Week of the 30th, um, Gallup has a big learning series that week. And then Jay Madison's coming back uh, to talk some hardware. So we've got some great shows ahead for you. If you haven't subscribed, you can find us anywhere. Uh, Home Gadget, just search Home Gadget Geeks. We're on everything. You can't miss us. I even have video. Do you know we have video RSS feed that's available for you? So if you want to subscribe to it and watch it and your player supports video, you can get large and small, download them, have them ready. And you don't have to use that crazy thing called YouTube. By the way, I think, Sammy, YouTube is going to start dropping non... So people like at Gallup, we don't monetize. So they make no money off of us. There's no ads that go. Some of the changes that have been going on lately, I think, make me think they're going to start dropping uh, individuals who aren't in the advertising because that's that's the way they make their money, right? Or just get rid of the option of not advertising and just put ads on everybody's stuff. Yeah, I no, I actually think I'm gonna start dropping. And if you if you don't want the paycheck, then I guess they'll keep it. No. They'll keep your three cents. Yeah, maybe, maybe yeah. But you know, three cents a bunch of times adds up. So I'm actually thinking if I had a prediction for 2020, uh, YouTube is gonna make some major changes that are gonna affect a yes. lot of YouTubers. So I sense that coming. We may all have to think about what's an alternative to YouTube this year. So that may be I'll have to check the facts, though, before I... Keep your eyes on YouTube, though. Yeah. Yeah, I think as YouTube, uh, a lot of things go. We are live every Thursday, except uh, Thanksgiving, apparently, because we're live on Fridays. We're live every Thursday, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern, out here at theaverageguy.tv slash live. If you haven't subscribed, do it. Uh, love to have you in the conversation. All kinds of ways to do it. want to thank you for coming out tonight. Join us on this Friday night. Sammy, thank you for saying yes to being interviewed tonight. And with that, we'll say goodbye, everybody. Bye.